If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We are going to finish up our series on the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying this study. Uh, this, this lesson tonight is probably going to be my favorite. Uh, I'm just going to put this title to it, Lord, Help Me Pass the Test. Help me pass the test. We want to look at the last verse. As a matter of fact, let's just go back and look. Let's, let's read all of this Lord's Prayer, and then we'll, we'll concentrate on verse number 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. The Bible says, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And here's, here, this is the verse that we want to concentrate on tonight. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many knows, we've, we say it all the time, but how many knows that the enemy is out to destroy you? The enemy is out to take you out. If, it, if it's any way possible, he would love to do that. But by the grace of God, he sustains us and he keeps us. Now, tonight we, we come to the, as I said, come to the end of this study on this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And we end, when you think about it from this scripture, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We really end uh, with this scripture recognizing God for who he is, but we really end really the basically how we started because didn't it say our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We begin to worship him at the beginning of this prayer and we're also worshiping him at the end of this prayer. So we, so we sort of get back to the place where we started from. But, but before Jesus takes us there, there's a little line there in that verse 13 that we need, to, we need to take a look at. He starts off with sort of a difficult place. Lord, help deliver us. Uh, don't, don't, don't let us be tempted, but, but deliver us from this, from this evil one. And as a matter of fact, you know, when you think about this, it can become a disturbing place for us. It's fairly easy to say when you, especially in the church house, it's easy to say that God has all the power. It's easy to say that everything is done is done for his glory. It's easy to tell God that, that Lord, you're king of everything. It's, it's easy to pray those prayers. But what does those prayers really mean? How does that play out when you think about it in the day-to-day lifestyle that you and I live? I mean, when you get the promotion that you were praying about, boy, it's easy that you can say, boy, I knew God was in control, right? Because you got a promotion, you got a raise. It's easy to understand that. When you get a miraculous healing that takes place in your life, it's, it's easy to proclaim God is in control. When, when you see things working out just the way that you've planned for them to work out, it's easy for for you to say, God, you've got everything under control, but what about all those other things that really make up life as well? What about those things that we see today even as bad things? And I can list a whole bunch of bad things if you want us to give us a list, but what about those things? What about, what about those difficult times? Is God still God in those moments? Is, is he the still God? Is he still sovereign? Is he still on the throne? Is he still got my best interest at heart when we see those difficulties taking place? What, what about that sickness that, that just doesn't seem, seem to to what about those prayers that we pray that seems like for a lifetime, God, we want you to touch us here. We want you to. What about those times? What about hurricanes and tornadoes that, that sometimes even take out whole cities when they come through and lives are lost? What is God still God then? 
We want to talk about that tonight. Lord, help me pass the test. Help me pass the test. It's a question, really, that, that has caused many people to stumble through history. Lord, deliver me from the temptation. How many of you have ever heard of a guy by the name of Charles Templeton? Is that name familiar to you? Anybody? Jeanette, you've heard of this guy? Charles Templeton was one, was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived in the 20th century. In the 1940s, he was credited, listen to this, in the 1940s, he was credited of leading thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He planted a church in Toronto that they said just grew just beyond any, any imagination that any, anybody would have ever thought. But he is probably best known for his relationship with an evangelist that you will know by the name of Billy Graham. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Everybody's heard of Billy Graham. This guy was, well, was good friends with Billy Graham. Charles Templeton was very close friends with Mr. Graham. He was even responsible for nominating Billy Graham to be the field evangelist for Youth for Christ, as you, that you probably remember. Both Charles Templeton and Billy Graham regularly spoke to thousands about Jesus. So why then do we always hear about Billy Graham, but we never hear about Charles Templeton? They spoke to thousands of people. Each one of them, but why, why do we not hear about this guy? If you, go, if you do the rest of the story, you'll find out that Charles Templeton went back on Christ. He lost his faith. He rejected Christ. He went back on those things. And the whole time, think about this, the whole time he was preaching to thousands of people in one of his books, he was questioning God. People says, and different ones that knew this guy said that it started when he saw the, when he saw the World War II newsreels about the Holocaust. And this is, this is what started it. They said that he just could not understand how a loving God could allow that thing to take place. Matter of fact, he wrote a book about his rejection of Christianity, and he called it this, Farewell to God. Now think about this. This is a guy that saw thousands of people come to Christ. Thousands of people restored, thousands of people delivered, but yet in the end, he lost his faith. He lost his trust in God because he could not understand how a loving God could allow some of these bad things to take place. You may have been asking yourself that same thing. The foundational question for rejecting God in this book was found on page 201. He said this, How could a loving and an omnipotent God create such horrors as we have been contemplating? The sad thing, when you think about this guy, he's not alone in his thought process. When you talk to people about God, it won't be very long before, before somebody confronts you with the question, well, how can a good God, have you ever been asked that before? How can a good God allow these things to take place? Has God changed his mind? Has God changed who, who he is? is he, has he changed directions? All those kind of things. And we, we try to skirt the question many times, and, and you try to dance around it many times. And the, and the worst thing is when, is when people try to make excuses for God. Several years ago, there was a rabbi by the name of Harold Crusher, and he wrote this bestseller that basically said this. It said that evil happens because God is powerless to do anything about it. Think about that. Evil happens because basically God is powerless to do anything about it. I don't think I'm serving that kind of God. How about you? I mean, the God that I serve, I still believe he's an all-powerful God. He's an omnipotent God. He's an all-knowing God. He, he understands everything. But the, still the question remains. 
Do we, do we, we've got to see these things. You end up with a God who is powerless, if you believe that, against evil. Or you end up with a God who, who that many of our TV preachers just peddle around today as sort of a job and an occupation, if you will. You end up with a God who isn't sovereign. You end up with a God who isn't omnipotent. Instead, they just peddle the idea that Satan is sovereign. Of course, they, they, they never say things, you know, what they say is you lost your job because the devil, you know, the Satan, Satan made it happen. You're sick because Satan made it happen. You lost your loved one because Satan made it happen. Well, guess what? I'll, I'll tell you something. If you, if you, if this may bust some of your theology up, but let me tell you something. Satan doesn't make anything happen. He's not in control. Understand that. He's not in control. His main power is in his extraordinary ability to deceive. And he's been doing that since the very beginning. He's been lying to us since the very beginning. He's not changed any of his tactics. He's not changed any of his plan. He's lied to us from the very beginning. This thing, this guy we call the devil. So to convince people that he's in control of anything is really the biggest lie that's going on. Because God, because that's God's territory. God is the creator. He's the creator. God is in control. God is sovereign. He's not helpless. He's not powerless against evil. Nothing never surprises God. Nothing never surprises God. Nothing is outside of his sovereign control or his power. Nothing, not even evil, not even sickness, not even disease, not hurricanes, not tornadoes, not the Holocaust. Nothing surprises God. You say, well, pastor, you're not making a real good case for God. Just hold on. I just want to set us up where we are and, where, and get us to understand what we really believe tonight. I don't care if it's death. I don't care if it's life. I don't care if it's angels. I don't care if it's principalities, powers. The Bible says things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other creature. Nothing surprises God. God is sovereign over all of these things. He created them, and he's over all of them. And when we think about that, Yes, there's bad things that take place. But when we understand that God is sovereign over everything, that ought to be comforting to us. That ought to be reassuring to us that God has everything in control. Amen. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you how I feel. Sometimes God doesn't move when I want him to move. Sometimes God doesn't speak when I want him to speak. Sometimes God doesn't even do what I think he ought to do, Right? I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. I don't know all the things that needs to be known. I don't know all these things. But, the, but, but if we're not careful as God's people, we, and, and those things keep plaguing our mind, it can be disturbing if we lose the sight that God is a sovereign God. He's a sovereign God. It can be disturbing when we allow our minds to wander into the realms and the implications of what, what could happen. It can be disturbing when we go to a place in our mind like the Holocaust. It was a terrible thing. When we go to a place in our mind like sickness and disease or suffering, all of those kind of things. But that's why Jesus spoke to us and told, uh, told us to pray. He wants us to pray. We had a prayer meeting here, here uh, Monday night. We had a great time, a good spirit of prayer here Monday night. You know, so I encourage you to pray. But Jesus says, I want you to pray. And he tells us to pray. He tells us to pray about one of the most difficult things to wrap our mind around. He tells us to pray about the nature of evil and God's role in this nature. But notice what he, what he doesn't tell us to pray. He doesn't tell us to ask God to, to let us understand it because I'm going to tell you, I don't understand it. How about you? There's some things I don't understand. There's some things I can't understand. 
There's some things I probably will never, Sister Parker, understand until we see Jesus face to face. We'll never understand those things. We, we, we can't understand. We'll never be able to understand all of the philosophical implications of this question of evil, these, of why all these things take place. We can't because we don't have the mind of God. I can tell you this, we live in a sick world. We live in a sick world with sick people. We live in a sick world with sick people who's got sick minds doing sick things. We know that because of sin and because of the enemy that's, in our, that's, that's trying to overtake us and taking us out. It takes the mind of an all-knowing God to understand how something that we see as evil will work together for good. You remember that scripture? God says, I, 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 I have all things come together and I want all these things to work together for the good. How, how, can, how can God take those bad things like that and work them out for our good? If you ever ask yourself that, how is that possible? How, do, how can a God do that? When you look in the scripture, Joseph uh, of old was, was, was being hauled up out of the pit and he was sold as a slave. This was a brother here. This was a, this was a son. This was supposed to be a member of the family. I'm sure he didn't see how it would work together for the good at that time. I promise you, he didn't understand those things. When he, when he was left to rot in a jail for a crime he didn't commit, I'm sure he didn't see how it would work together for the good. He didn't see it, but it did, didn't it, when you read the rest of the story. He told us that in Genesis 50 and 20, he says, you intended to harm me, talking to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How many of you have ever flown before? You got in a plane and you went up. Have you ever noticed how the, the landscape changes the higher that you go up? You know, when you're on, when you're on a, uh, you know, just at a ground level, you, you see things a certain way. But when you get an airplane, you go up, boy, everything changes drastically and, and just it, everything doesn't look the same anymore. When you think about that a little bit, it's sort of how God sees things. See, when we, we look at things from a, from a ground level, we, we can't understand everything that's going on. Understand. But God sees from up here. God understands everything in my life that's going on. There may, there may be some things that take place tomorrow that, Sister Marilyn, I, I, I may not understand. I said, God, why in the world is this happening? But God's got a bigger plan out there, and I've got to trust him because he's a sovereign God. I've got to keep my faith in him. I've got to be grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because if I allow myself to get off in all this, the tangent of the evil stuff, my mind's going to get messed up. My relationship is going to get messed up. My spirituality is going to get messed up. And, and Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of many lives. So it brings us back to the, what Jesus is telling us to pray. He didn't tell us to pray that we can understand. Instead, he leaves us with an unspoken, so to speak, leaves us with an unspoken understanding simply that God is in control. God is in control. And that's where many times we have to leave it. There's some things I can figure out my own. There's some things with God help. He gives me answers. He speaks to my heart, and he, and he allows me to figure those things out. But there's other things in my life and in your life that we just simply can't understand, and we have to leave those things with God. We understand that evil is a result of sin because that's what the Scripture tells us. How many of you have ever, have ever had a death or knew of a family that had a death in their, in their family? And if they're not careful, they begin to blame God. These could be good folks, good Christian folks. And if they're not careful about that, you'll find, they'll find themselves outside of church, outside of the faith, outside of the umbrella because they've allowed themselves. No, those things are not pleasant. None of that is pleasant. 
but I cannot lose my faith in an almighty God that has my best interest at heart, right? We've got to understand that God, that if God is all-powerful, and, and, and the Bible says he is, and, and he's not the author of sin. We know that from the Scripture. The Bible says he isn't. Then sin only exists because he allows it. So the question is, why, why does God allow sin to exist? And he allows sin to exist for the same reason, when you think about it, that he planted a tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Think about this. And he told Abram, he said, I've got this tree, but I don't want you to touch it. Adam, not Abram, Adam. I don't want you to touch it. This is here. This is the tree of good and of, of, of good and knowledge. Evil. I just leave it alone. You can look at it. All those, kinds, but don't, don't, don't touch it. It's a test. Don't eat of it. Planted the tree and made the rule. Think about this. Made the rule as a test. And if there had been no test, could Adam really have proved his love for God? Think about it. We know that Adam failed the test. We know that from Scripture. So the test really wasn't there for Adam to prove his love for God, was it? But the test was really there so God could prove his love for Adam. I want you to understand, I've, I've, got, I've, given all, I've given all these things to you. Everything you can have, you can touch, you can damn, you can, you can partake of, but there's one thing I don't want you to mess with. And you know that still really is going on today, right? Even kids, that's, I mean that's young kids. They don't even have to be less than a year old. They know that one thing that mom and dad says don't touch, they're going after. Because we were born into sin. We were born, we were created in that. From, from Adam. We were born, and so we, we go after those things. And so God puts these things as a test for us. But God wants us to understand his love for us. It was there for God to prove his love to all mankind. Think, think about this, through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he'd done for us on the cross of Calvary. It was, it was not God's desire for Adam to fail the test. It was, that's not what his desire was. God didn't cause Adam to fail the test. Adam believed, think about it, he believed the lie of the enemy. I submit to you that if the enemy never would have showed up, he never would have touched the tree. I don't believe he never would have had, got a hold of the tree. But because the enemy showed up, started speaking those things in his mind. Want him to believe this, believe that, oh, God, he's a God of love. God just don't want you to be as smart as he is. He don't want you to be intelligent as he is. And it caused that doubt in his mind, and we begin to believe the lie. And it's still happening today with men and women all over America because they choose to listen to the lie of the enemy. Lord, help me pass the test. Help me pass. Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You're you're listening to the lie of the enemy. God created you. He created you in his image. If you're created in the image of God, you've got to be good enough. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Yeah, I know we get to feeling down on ourselves sometimes, but but many times if we're not careful, we get to thinking, I'm not good enough, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. and, and, and And God has said, back the truck up. I created you in my image. You're my vessel. I'll help you if you'll just look to me. I'll, I'll strengthen you if you'll, just, if you'll just look to me. And they begin to believe the lie. And they failed the test. But God ordained that his glory would be magnified through Adam's willful sin. Just like he ordains that, that somehow his glory would be magnified through all the results of sin that we see in the world today. 
Through it all, Jesus tells us to pray. And he says this. He told us in that scripture, he said, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, which, which, which ought to tell us that the evil one is going to do his best to take us out. We will have those moments in our life that he comes to tempt us and to, and to do those things. Does God lead us into temptation? Have you ever been asked that question? Think about that. Does God lead us into temptation? Yeah. Lead us not into temptation, but yeah, he does. We, we have to know what we're talking when we look at the word temptation here. I want you to think about this for a little bit. When we see the word temptation, when we think about it, it's got a negative connotation. We think about it from a negative sense. In our language, temptation leads to sin, and it does. But the, but the meaning of the original word carries no such connotation. The original word simply means test. Everybody say test. Test. Lord, lead us not, don't, don't test me, God. <laughs> lead us not into temptation. A temptation is a test. Just like the tree in the garden was a test. Just like the tree in the garden was a test. What was God's desire for Adam concerning the test? His desire was that Adam would glorify God simply by passing the test. He wants us to pass the test. And he gives us everything that we need to pass the test. Lord, lead us not into temptation. We were praying that, right? But temptation does come. The testing does come. And through the trials of our testing, trials of our faith, the trials of those things that you and I go through, we grow every day. We mature every day. We strengthen our spiritual walk with God every day through those tests every day. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Let's just bring it down where we're talking. We're looking at Adam and Eve here in the Garden of Eden, but, but we're tested every day. When that person pulls out in front of you and you want to slap them upside the head, you're tested. When somebody comes and says some things to you that, that some, uses, some, uses some choice words that, that maybe they shouldn't use, you're tested. What are you going to do? How are you going to retaliate? When somebody does something to you, you feel like that you've got to retaliate and do something back to them. You're, you're being tested, Right? Yeah, we were tested every every day. So, so what are we supposed to do? God, is, his desire is for us to pass the test. For us to pass the test. I don't know if I shared this with y'all or not. I got, I got tickled uh, several weeks ago. I can't remember when it was. Actually, maybe several months ago. Karen and I was traveling back from Little Rock, and we stopped in Searcy at this Chick-fil-A to get some tea. It was late one night, and we stopped in, and we pulled some tea. I love Chick-fil-A tea. but we pulled, No, it, wasn't, it was at a McDonald's, wasn't it? It was at a McDonald's. I'm sorry, McDonald's. We pulled up, uh, and, and we ordered this, this combo meal, two combo meals. Uh, I don't know what, it, what I ordered. It's not important. You can tell. <laughs> so we pulled up, and so I ordered my combo meal, and I got me this, this uh, half-cut tea. Karen got her combo meal, and she said, I just want water. So I, I get on there, and I said, on that second combo meal, just give me water. And the little girl says, I can't give you water. I said, why not? I don't have a button to push. And I said, what do you mean you don't have a button to push? Just, just put water in a cup. I can't do that, sir. I don't have a button to push on my register for this combo. You have to get either a soft drink or a tea. I said, wait just a minute. Now, at that time, I wasn't grinning. I was sort of, I said, you've got to be kidding me. Really? You? I'm not going to say what I was fixing to say. How smart you got to be to put water in a cup. Just put it under, put ice in the cup, put it there, 
push water. I said, ma'am, I said, I understand that I'm paying for a soda. That's fine. I understand that I'm paying for this tea, but I don't want tea. I don't want a soda. Just give me water. I'll pay for it anyway. Sir, I cannot. This went on for about five minutes. And I'm scratching my head, and all of a sudden it hit me. I get tickled. And I begin to laugh. I don't know if I just begin to laugh across this little speaker. And I said, okay, that's fine. Just give me tea. So I pull up, and I look at this little girl, and I start laughing again. And I said, are you serious that you can't give me water? She said, I can't do it, sir. I don't have a button to push on my thing. She didn't go to training one day, I'm sure. She missed a day of training. I, it had to be. But if we're not careful, we allow those little things like that. I mean, think about it. Little things like that. Now, some folks would get up and really give her a royal chewing out. Somebody really needed to take her to the side and say, you can give him water. Just push the button. Just push the button, you know, but give him water. But if we're not, and that's just a little bit of example, but, but seriously, those are the little things in life that create really mountains when we think about it. I'm telling you, they, they create mountains. I was in the post office today. It's in the post office today. I'm standing behind this African-American gentleman who is dressed to the T. I mean, he, and he looked nice. He had these orange pants on. He had this black shirt that had this orange color in it. It, it went very good. He had orange shoes on, had an orange hat on. This guy was dudeing out. I mean, he was sharp. And he was standing there, had these glasses on, and I'm standing there, and, and I've got just old raggedy blue jeans on and old... I just I was working a little bit today. I didn't look real good as far as that. So this other African American lady was standing behind me, and so he went up to this to this uh, the lady up there, and he he ordered some stamps, and he was mailing this this envelope, and he was trying to find out how many stamps that he had that he that he had to put on this envelope. So she told him six. He said, "Okay, I need to get six. She said, "Well, sir, I've I can't sell you. I got to sell you a book of twenty if you want if you want more than just one." So he said, okay, I'll buy the book. He said, can you put the six stamps on there for me? She said, sure, I can do that. So she went to put the six stamps. This is what this man said to this lady. She, he, said, he said, next time, when you put those stamps on there, could you straighten those up a little bit and make them in, in order? When he said that, the lady behind me, this African-American lady behind me, busted out laughing. I didn't know who this lady was, but I was standing this close to her, and I said, be careful, watch out for yourself. Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. I just hit her on the arm. And so this little, this little lady behind the, the, the clerk behind the counter, she looked at him with that look like, you got to be kidding me. But she said, okay. <laughs> now, when he left, this African-American lady that stood behind me, she couldn't contain herself anymore. She said, she was talking to me. She said, I wish you wouldn't have hit me because I was about to die laughing. And when you hit me and looked at me, it made me start laughing. But little things like that, I mean, they happen every day. I promise you. I guarantee you, some of you got stories too. Every day something happens that you could lose your cool. Those are tests that God allows us to go through. Think about it. And that's just simple stuff. There's some major stuff that happens all the time. God gives us a direction in his word of how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to behave. But sometimes if we're not careful, we get in our own nature, that human nature side, and that old flesh wants to arise and we want to react in a certain way that's not biblical, that's not Christian, that doesn't follow the Lord Jesus Christ at all. But yet we call ourselves a Christian.
Lord, help me pass the test. <laughs> help me pass the test. I'm not saying that we, need to, that we need to let somebody walk on us. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that, saying that somebody, if somebody comes up and slaps you in the face for you to turn the other cheek and let them slap you on the other side. I know what the Bible says about that, but that's not really what that's talking about. I'm not saying that you've got to lay down and just let somebody walk. That's not what we're talking about here. But, Lord, help me pass the test. And our attitude and our spirit has to be in the right manner. Are you following me? Our attitude has to be right. So, Lord, leads us into those things. And so, and so you remember... You remember what happened to Jesus? You remember what happened to Jesus? He was baptized. He, 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 was, he went up to the wilderness. The Bible said he was what? He was tested, right? He was tested. Satan presented Jesus with three scenarios. One of the scenarios is, hey, turn these stones into bread, right? Throw yourself down from this pinnacle that you're on. You know, throw yourself down, all those things, those, those temptations of Jesus, We've read them, we've read them many times, but there's something that many times we, we, we tend to skip over. When you look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says that then Jesus, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or to be tested of the devil. To be tempted of the devil. Who led him there? God knew that he had to go through the test. Did not the scripture tell us that Jesus went through everything that we, that we go through, right? So he, he understands everything that we go through. He, he already, he's done that. He already went through all of those things that you and I go through every day. He's been tempted of that in that sense. Satan intended evil for the test. Satan intended for the test to result in failure. But Jesus, hallelujah, did not fail the test. He didn't fail the test. But God the Spirit led him to be tested, and he passed the test. And at the end of his life, Jesus was again tested in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, when, uh, when he wrestled with that test of prayer and so intently that the Bible says that his sweat became great drops of blood. And Jesus himself said, Lord, if it's possible, let, it, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It was hard. It was a tough test. It's a hard test. And I dare say probably every one of us would have prayed the same prayer. Lord, if it's possible. Matter of fact, some of us probably have prayed that prayer. Lord, I don't want to go through this. Right? I don't want to go through this. There's been some things in my life that I could tell you story after story that I prayed, God, I don't want to go through this. I didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't like what it done to me. I didn't like how it affected me. I didn't like how it affected those around me. I don't want to go through this test. Don't want to go through it. But God made a way. And I look back on some of those things, Brother Roger, now, and I said, God, I understand now. See, then I was looking through a glass dimly. I couldn't see everything clear. I could see a little clearer now that I've got a few years down the road. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that before? And God opens those things up in your life. Father, let this cup pass from him. He was asking that the Father not lead him to this ultimate test, but at the same time, he knew that that was exactly why he was sent. He was sent to be tested with that ultimate test. He was sent to give God ultimate glory by passing the test. And in order to pass it, he had to take the test. And so he followed up that request when he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will. Thy will be done. 
I don't know about you, and, and probably I can answer for all of us, none of us like to be tested. I don't like it when my flesh is, is tested with a lustful thought. I don't like it when my pride is tested and my motivation is tested or my, or my selflessness is tested. All those, I don't like it when, when those things that, all the, I don't like it when those things are tested. I don't like it. But there's other kinds of tests as well. What, are, what about those tests of success? What about those times that we failed success, that we failed the test, failed it by, by taking credit for something that God did or something for somebody else did? What about those kind of things? Failed it by not being content with those things. Tests come in all shapes. They come in all sizes. And we don't have to like them. That's why Jesus tells us to pray about it, to come to him and pray about it. He tells us it's okay to ask God. Ask God, Lord, don't, don't test me. I don't, don't like don't let me go through this. If, it, if it's your will, Lord, don't let me don't let me pass this way. I think it's a, especially appropriate when, when we're dealing with a, with a particular besetting sin or whatever. If we have a for instance, if we have a gossiping problem that you just can't seem to get under control, pray about it. Lord, don't lead me into that particular test. Don't lead me into those situations that's going to cause me to, to do this. And, 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 but then again, he, he might give you lots of opportunities, if you're not careful, to overcome <laughs> that test, or that trial in your life. There's other all kinds of tests, as we've said, weaknesses. He might put you in a situation that you're going to be tested. He might just put you in a situation where your only way out is simply to cry out unto the Lord. And, when, and, and then when you do, he, uh, he, he's always faithful. He always delivers us. He always comes through. And Jesus says it's okay to pray. That's what he wants us to do. That's what this whole series has been about. Lord, we want to pray that this, this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. It didn't say that every time we pray, we have to pray this prayer, but it gives us a, a foundation, if you will of things to pray about. Lord, I want to bless you. I want to hallow your name. I want to worship you. I know you're going to lead us through these, these paths. I know you're going to lead us through these tests. I understand temptation is going to come and all these things, but, but Lord, I just want you to be with me, in other words. I want you to be with me. It's going to give God the greatest glory when we pass those tests. That's why Jesus followed up that we said a while ago, not my will, but thine be done. It was cruel. It was hard. It was hurtful. It was painful, but on the third day, hallelujah, he came back. And he's the reason that, when, uh, that we're here tonight. He's the reason that we're here tonight. God, deliver me from the, from the evil way of thinking. I, 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 you know, because we've got to be honest with ourselves. We don't know more than God. We think we do at times, but we don't know more than God. We don't know more than God. And we got to pray, Lord, I know that every test that you put me through is for your glory. Don't, don't complain to God a lot about the test. The test is for your glory, for his glory. It's for your strength, I, I should say, the, for the maturity and the growing of you, but for the glory of God. And he puts us through those things. He puts us, allows those things to go through. It's not fun. We may not like it. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we fail. But, we, but he puts us through those things for, for his glory. You desire that I pass that test. And, and, and let, me, let me help some of you tonight. When you don't pass the test and you fail, don't, don't feel like life is over. Don't feel like life is over. That's why Jesus came. That's what grace is for. That's what mercy is for. I know sometimes we misuse mercy and grace, but that's exactly why they're there. Not to misuse. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but to use those things. 
God's, God's availability is love for us. He doesn't want us to willful sin. He doesn't want us to go out there and just, and just do whatever we want to and then, because I've got mercy and grace hanging over me. No, you've got to be careful about that because there will come a time you want to live like that. He'll withdraw his spirit from you. But if, but if you fail and you know that you fail and you're, you're sorrowful for those things and you have a repentant heart. See, there's the difference between Peter and, and Judas. Peter had a repentant heart, right? The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. He asked forgiveness. And when we, when we dealt with that a few weeks ago where, where Jesus was standing on the bank one day and his disciples, Peter, and all those disciples was out there fishing, you know, Brother Mike, and they caught him. He thinks he said, hey, hey, children, have you caught? I mean, he's talking to Peter. He's talking to the same one that, that denied him. He's talking to the same one that, that Jesus had to turn around and say, hey, you know, get behind me, Satan. He's talking about the same guy that Jesus was going to use Peter to build the church, this guy. And he caught, hey, children, have you caught anything? And they figure, finally figure out who he was. And Peter, the Bible says, Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims up there. And the Lord says, hey, Peter, do you love me? You remember? Peter says, Lord, Lord, yeah, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And the Lord says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Ask him three times. And by that time, you had to understand Peter, you know, he was getting a little aggravated. Lord, I done told you I, I but it was, that, it was at that moment, it was at that moment that Peter was trans, he, he was just, something transferred from his head down to his heart. He, had, he, had, he changed at that moment. You never read in Scripture after that that Peter had a problem in the sense of what he, what he did before. He knew that he knew who he stood for. And it didn't matter who stood up against him. Peter trusted in God no matter what. He had a change in his life. And I, I, I have a feeling that we have so many people in our churches today that have a book knowledge of God, but they do not have a heart knowledge of God. They can read the Scripture. They can tell you the Scripture, but they don't live the Scripture. They can tell you all the things and the stories and all these things about the Lord, but they don't have a heart relationship with Christ. They don't have a heart relationship with him. The Lord wants us to be in relationship with him. Be in relationship with him. I, and I don't know, as I said, we're talking about tests of what, you know, maybe you're going through a test right now. Um, but I know this. I know God placed the test there in order that it's going to bring him glory. And it's going to bring him glory when you and I pass the test. Not, not in your strength, but in his strength. And the only way that you'll be delivered from the evil and pass the test before, before you is the power of the one who holds all the power in his hands, and that's the Lord. We have to put our life in his, in his hands. We have to put our life in his hands. I mean, there's some days, I, I promise you, there's some days I look back on you know, the things that I go through every day, and, and I do laugh I, you know, because of some things that takes place. I laugh at some stupid things that I, you know, I don't have a button to push on the, on the register, things like that. I'll laugh at those kind of things. But there's other days I'll look back and I'll scratch my head and say, Lord, what was that all about? You know, what, what was, what's, what's this all about? It's, just, it's, just, it's interesting how God plans your day and how God plans your life. And he shows up in, in times where you don't think that he shows up. But God, you put me through this test, you put me through this trial, then help me pass the test. So I can give you your glory. You didn't choose the test, but you can pass the test. You can pass the test. And the first place to start is just what this scripture in Matthew is talking about. Lord, we want to come before you.
We want to hallow your name. We want to pray, in other words. We want to seek you. We've got to remind ourselves that God is in control. And I know you, you hear me say this a lot, but listen to me. If you have not developed a relationship with God in the sense of praying to him and talking to him, you need to do so. You need to talk to him every day. You need to talk to him every day. Whether it's driving in your car or whether it's you know, laying in your bed or kneeling down, at you, whatever, you need to pray every day. Every day you need to seek God. Every day we need to be in relationship with God. That's, that's his desire. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants us to have fellowship with him. And, and, and it's sad to me when you think about this guy that I told you about at the very beginning, Charles Templeton, that for years preached behind a pulpit, for years preached the word of God, for years saw thousands and thousands of people, him and Billy Graham both, but on the end he lost his relationship with God, and you never, you never hear anything else about him. Now, I'm not saying that old brother Jonah in the Bible lost his faith, but I want you to think about something with me. When we read about Jonah, God told Jonah to go, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah threw up a fit. I'm not going there. Those are bad people. Those are evil people. I am not going and preaching the gospel. God said, I don't want you to go. I want you to go. You know the story there. He got in a boat. Waters got rough. They threw up the boat. Big fish come up, swallowed old Jonah. For three days in the belly of the whale, old Jonah was, was I guarantee you, talking to God. <laughs> I guarantee you he was praying those three days. And God caused the big fish to go up, spit him up on the bank, clean himself up. He goes to Nineveh. The Bible says that the entire city, right, had great revival in that day, that the city was delivered. It made Jonah mad. Think about this. This is a prophet of God, an evangelist, so to speak. He'd done exactly what God told him to do after the fact. God done what God said he was going to do. The city was restored. The city was saved. The city was delivered. Made Jonah mad. Jonah walks off the pages of the Bible. You never hear anything else about Jonah. Nothing. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know if he lost his faith. I don't know if... I don't know what happened, but you never read nothing else about this man of Jonah that was in a big fish. You would have thought that somebody that went through an ordeal like he went through, you'd at least heard something about him later on in life, right? But you never hear nothing else about Jonah in Scripture. God wants fellowship with us. He wants us to listen to him, to trust in him, and to put our life in him. Father, we want to hallow your name. We want to seek you. We want to come before you. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And then it ends up, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you tonight for your many blessings. I thank you for the privilege, O oh God, of, of looking at your word and studying your word. I thank you, O oh God, that you help us through your word because we know that your word brings strength to us. Your word puts meat on our bones. And God, I, I, I'm asking you from a spiritual sense tonight that every one of us in here, I pray that you fatten us up with your word. I pray, God, that you increase our faith, our relationship with you. Let the word that, we, that when we read the word, let it, let it come alive to us, O oh God. Let our prayer life come alive. 
Don't let us look at our prayer life as just just something we've got to do. But God, let us understand the importance of it and the strength of it and how you help us, oh God, each and every day. Tests will come. Temptations will come. Those trials of life will come. But God, we want to pass those tests. And when we pass it, we give you the glory. Because we know that when we, when we do the study, when we do the, when we do the preliminary work, oh God, of praying and seeking you, God, you're going to help us pass those tests. Oh, yeah, we may fail from time to time, but, but God, you forgive us. And we come back to you, and we, we're sorrowful for those things that we've messed up with. But God, you, you pick us back up, you brush us off, and you just set us back down and tell us to keep on walking. Help us to learn to do that, I pray. And Father, we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.